The heart of our series is this, that Christianity is all about relationships. Say that R word with me again. One, two, three, relationships. In fact, I said before that Dr. Uh, Dr. Floyd says that, that the number one word is a, in the Bible is a word actually not specifically used in the Bible. We would think that the number one word is love. But he would go a step deeper and it says, love has no meaning a part of the real word that supplies love. Say that R word with me. One, two, three. Relationships. Relationships are important. So Christianity is all about relationships. Our relationship with Christ, our relationship with his church, and our relationship with others. So as we think about the, the forte, right, that forte, that loudness of discipline, right? I want you to see discipline as a gift from the Almighty God. That being called disciples is the root word of discipline. That God is bridging the gap from who we are to who we want to be to he, who he wants us to be for the glory of his name. So would you rise with me, stand with me in the reading of God's perfect word, Ho'omaokaokao. Mark, the author of this passage, text this of the life of Jesus. He said, and they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me this. Verse 31. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from men? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John the Baptist really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. God, we need inspiration from you. We don't need man-made tactics. We need your word. We need your scripture. We need your law. We need your precepts. We need your testimony today, God. And that is all found in the sufficiency of your word. Help us, God, to be people of your word. May we apply what we know today to be true from the written word to the living word. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we say loud and proud, amen. You may be seated. When I was little, around five years old, I loved watching two specific superheroes. The first superhero was Superman. The second hero was Peter Pan. I know there's some contracts to that, but they have something in common that I absolutely love about these two characters. And if you know what they share together, say it with me a lot, one, two, three, they fly, right? These brothers fly. I want to fly. I want to learn how to fly. 
right? And so at five years old, I had to do the contrast, right? I had to look at the comparison first. I had to look at Superman. And as I looked at Superman, I realized there was a lot of contrast more than comparison. For instance, I'm not from a planet called Krypton. The sun ray does not give my Kryptonian power uh, more power, right? There, there's, there's no comparison there. But in Peter Man's case, Peter Pan, Peter Man, <laughs> Peter Pan's case, check this out, Hawaii, right? in Peter Pan's case, right, he was actually human. If you know the reading, he's from Earth. And there was one thing outside of fairy dust that you needed in order to fly that I had that Peter Pan had. What was it, everybody? Happy thoughts. As a five-year-old boy, growing up in Hilone, I got plenty happy thoughts. I think about Yoshiyama's store. How many of you remember Yoshiyama's? All one of you, Tita, yeah? How many of you remember Pinkies, right? How many of you know now the Popeye meal before I had all the hakaka that goes on right now, okay? Right? How many of you know all that, right? How, you guys, how many of you remember the Manapua men in your community, right? Those things give me happy thoughts, hallelujah, right? And so, I must, I tell him myself, outside of fairy dust, if it's just happy thoughts, brah, I get happy thoughts all day. I can fly. So, Ulu and I had a bunk bed in our room in Popeye and I decided, I can't be like Superman, but I'm going to put a sheet and tie it on and make it like a cape, right? I jumped, I climbed our bunk bed in our room, and then I was like, happy thoughts, happy thoughts, happy thoughts. I jumped, expected to fly. My happy thoughts turned into hurtful thoughts. <laughs> and I realized for an instant that I was limited. Till this day, I hate heights. And you may say, but Kahu, you travel so much times. Let me say it again. I hate heights. I mean, we go with the youth, the OPO, the college students. We go down to King's uh, Eagle's Landing, also known as South Point, the cliff, the 30, 40-foot cliff. My Tita over here jumping off with all these young kids, this 30-foot, 40-foot drop. And I'm here, uh, the devil is a liar. <laughs> like, bro, no more happy thoughts at this moment. I promise you that, Hawaiian. All I get is, bro, I got to go bachelor right now. <laughs> I got to go lua. That's the, that's the reality, right? I realize for the moment that I am limited. And when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is a movement out there that is proclaiming a fallacy that we can do exactly what Jesus can do. And I think... There's some truth to that, but not all truth. There's a reason why he's Lord and I'm not. There's a reason why he's Savior and I'm not. We are limited. I think at the throne of grace, we should all acknowledge that we are limited, happy thoughts or not. We are limited. We are sinful. Our sin limits us. 
And as we faithfully walk verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark for the last three years, we finally arise in the last passage of chapter 11, and we realize a consistent theme, that life with Jesus is dependent on Jesus. This is why we're limited, because it's actually a gift. To be limited is a gift, because now we can be desperate and dependent on the one who is all-powerful. The Scriptures announce a doctrine, and the doctrine is called the supremacy of God, or the supremacy of Christ. The word supremacy comes from the root word super. It means that God, Jesus himself, is all supreme, meaning he lacks in nothing. And in that supremacy, by his grace, God himself gives us a portion of who he is by the Spirit of God at regeneration. The word regeneration, I know these big hyperbolical words, is the word the new birth. Every one of us who are followers of Jesus have been regenerated. It's like a defibrillator, shocking someone to life. This is the Holy Spirit of God in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, that we've been washed and renewed by regeneration, the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because God is supreme. God is all-powerful. And so this all-powerful God who is in the form of a human flesh is living life with his disciples. In verse 27, as we exegete our text this morning, it says that Jesus and his disciples came to Jerusalem again, right? And in this coming, we, we got to look at this was the normal routine of traveling throughout Galilee. Why did Jesus specifically come to Jerusalem? And the answer is quickly this, to participate and gather at the temple. We see three different times Jesus come to the temple in chapter 11. All this time is very faithful that Jesus came to the temple because that's where preaching happened. That's where teaching happened. In fact, Jesus puts a priority on his family gathering together at the temple. Therefore, you could say that today is the lifestyle of Jesus. We are gathered together in holy matrimony, if you could say that. I will say that. So that we can gather and be together and hear the preaching of the word. There's many forms of hearing the word, right? We sing the word. We pray the word. We give the word. We preach the word. And then sooner or later, we're going to respond to the word through the Lord's Supper. Can I get a witness out there? And so there's faithful preaching in the temple. Jesus was a preacher. Jesus was a teacher. Now, he didn't have a scholarly uh, certificate, right? He didn't have a theology, MDiv uh, in theology. He was theology. He was the word being lived out and pressed out. And so we see one major truth that I want to drive today. Ho'omaokoko. One major truth with life with Jesus is this, that life with Jesus will face tensions. I don't know who has to hear this today, but I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you today that life with Jesus will face much tensions. And I want to break down our verses through answering some, some very critical questions. And here's our first question, right? Where is the tension in our passage Today, the simple answer is this as we look at the text. It's with the religious rulers. Look at verse 27, the ending part. It says that there was the chief priests and the scribes and the elders who came to Jesus. In the temple, right, as Jesus has gathered the people to preach, 
These three religious groups come to Jesus. And I want to break down some historical analysis of these groups to better understand the context, right? The chief priests, the chief priests were the leading priests who were members of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. And the high priest was one of the chief priests. The Sanhedrin was the highest court of justice and the supreme council in ancient Jerusalem. These were the ones who influenced the crucifixion of Jesus. This is the highest, you think about the highest row of authority in America, the presidency. This is considered that very position. The scribes were the ones who drew up legal documents. They are the lawyers. They also copied the Old Testament scripture. They devoted themselves to the study of the law and the determination of its application on daily life. They also studied the scripture with respect to doctrinal and historical matters. This is still lived out in the church today through preachers and teachers. Lastly, the last group is the elders, right? The elders were older men who represented the people and who exercised a certain amount of authority over the people. Existing at least as far as back as the time of Moses, they were governing foundations of different groups in the Bible. This is our kupuna today, right? People who have plenty mana'o, planning knowledge, and uses that knowledge to lead their families and lead the groups that the Lord has ordained in front of them. By definition, right, these men, these men Jesus was faced against were intimidating presence to the community at large. And this situation could argue that the point of these groups being in front of Jesus is where the tension lies. There is much tension just with these three groups of leaders. Next question. Why did they approach Jesus? Why did these religious rulers approach Jesus? It says it in verse 28, right? To challenge his supremacy. To challenge his authority. Verse 28 says, And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? The word authority out of the Greek language, literally means power. And not power like dunamis, which is to, the word dunamis is the English word dynamite, where we blow things up. It's actually more direct. This power in the Greek language actually means to act upon before the results. With, with dunamis, dynamite, it actually explodes things. It makes things visible. That is the gospel, right? That's what we talk about. But with this specific Language is this specific word of power. It means to be brave, to be bold, and to be porno with addressing issues at hand. Right? So, so this is the pre-power step before we see dunamis take place. So as we look at the next question, what authority are they speaking of? Right? And the answer is simple this, simply this. His preaching and teaching ministry. To understand this, you have to read in context. This is why we are a verse-by-verse -verse study church, the books of the Bible, because we're not actually talking about these verses anymore. But if we go back to verses 15 and 19, we see clearly the reason why they're, they're questioning Jesus is because Jesus preaches with power. Amen? Jesus teaches with authority. And there's a specific part in verse 15 to 19 that Jesus goes gangsta. In the temple, right? 
He goes all havoc in the temple, so much so that there is sin in the temple. People is using God's temple, the gathering place for preaching and teaching, to sell goods and merchandise and not worship God. In fact, Jesus gets so harsh on them that in John's account, chapter 2, John grabs, John says that Jesus grabs some cords and he does a great miracle with these cords that happen in like in a second and he turned it into a whip. And Jesus literally whipped people out of the temple. He whipped them. He turned the tables. He shouted at them. Now, this is not the popular Jesus we like talking about, amen? But this is the Jesus. This is the Jesus who has authority. And that doesn't limit his authority because he goes on to say that there's a specific truth that he acknowledges in the Old Testament. In verse 17 of Mark chapter 11, he says, It is not written, meaning thus says the Lord, that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But, listen to these words, Jesus said, but you, you people, and the Pharisees were involved in this, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, he said, you people, you have made it a den of robbers. Now, now think about this contextually, everybody. All right, think about this, okay? When Jesus said to these people that they're a den of robbers, Think about what context you come from, what generation you come from. Think about the worst term that you could be called in your day and age. Now, growing up in Hawaii, the word haole is a derogatory word for many haoles that come. But let me be honest with you, that word is not derogatory. Let me tell you what's derogatory. What we put in front of it and behind of it. Only locals understand what I just said. Right? The word holy is not derogatory in our context, in our culture. It's what we put in front of it and behind of it that's derogatory. Now think about Jesus calling these robbers blanking holy blankety blank. If you come from the homestead where I come from, promise kind, we'll have one scrap right there. Not going to have text warriors like today on social media and all that. No, brother, it's going to go down. Bro, I remember going to school and had kill holy day. Now, thank God we are a gospel-saturated church, amen? <laughs> that God does not see color of the skin, but God sees the heart. And today, our nation is going havoc on this one issue. That's a big issue, amen? Big issue. But the issue is more in-depth. What is the issue? People have bad hearts. The heart is filthy. The heart is wrong, right? Look, look at this. This was an authoritative statement Jesus made. This was done with power. Jesus never rewrite one post saying, well, I'm so sorry that I called you a den of robbers. I wasn't thinking straight. Well, I want to apologize and say this too. He wasn't being political about what he said to them. Bongo was porno with what he said. No, you is one robber, bro. You is one filthy thief. Bro, you dirty. And now, now if you feel dirty and you feel like you a filthy thief, maybe that's good. Right? Because that's what Jesus comes. Jesus comes to expose any heaven in our hearts. So how does Jesus right? Respond with their question. Well, Jesus does a philosophical position, and he does this. He, he does a counter question to them. I want you to read all the Gospels. 
The way Jesus answers people is he counter-questions them. He never gives them a direct answer. He allows the human to think for themselves. And don't they think, saints? Don't they think, right? Look in verse 29. Jesus says, The question, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Notice that Jesus is already claiming in this verse that there is an authority that drives his earthly ministry. And so he continues with this counter question and says in verse 30, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Don't answer it. I don't want anybody to be ashamed if you're wrong and all that, right? But why don't you say that again, right? Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Right Now, I want you to see very clear in this, this is why we need to be an expository preaching church, because verse by verse in context matters. When you're reading the gospel of Mark, Mark starts off not with the birth of Jesus, not with the genealogy of Jesus, but the baptism of Jesus. Are you with me? He doesn't start with anything but the baptism of Jesus. Now, this is significant in context, verse by verse study, that Jesus answers this very question for the Pharisees based on chapters 1, verses 9 to 11. Look at it. It's on the screen. It says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Check this out, guys. Here's the answer. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you am I well pleased. You know what is another phrase for well pleased? In you, you have all authority. So the answer is very clear in this text. Listen to me very clear. The baptism of John does come from heaven and does not come from man. Why? Because everything about doctrine and theology never points to man. It points to Christ. Are you with me? And the Pharisees even says... That if we do say that it comes from heaven, then we would have to admit our disbelief. You know why they said that? Because they knew it would come from heaven. All through the Old Testament, through the Messianic prophecies, a gift would come from heaven. This gift would be Jesus. Now, you cannot look at this baptism like prosperity preachers today. Jesus' baptism was for Jesus alone. Anything else is the result of what Jesus already done. Listen to me. I want you guys to hear me very clear. Theologically, right? There is no more new baptisms. There is no more new signs and wonders and miracles. There is already what has happened in the scriptures that's to be true today. Now, can God heal? Hallelujah. Can God free people from their situation? Hallelujah. But this baptism was for Jesus alone. Let me promise you this. I've been baptized twice. Some of you in the church seven, you got to get your theology straight over here, okay? All right? I've been baptized twice. Both times, the heavens didn't open up. Hello? God didn't shout, here's brother Zeke, who I am well pleased with. 
I can tell you a nanny goose never jumped on my shoulder. You see, you got to be distinctive in the scriptures. Life with Jesus is about Jesus. The scriptures is about Jesus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? They point to Jesus. They don't point to man. They point to Jesus. The scriptures, everything that we know is about Jesus. This is what gives him all authority, all power, all right, is that because he's the son of God who takes away the sins of the world. What is this baptism displaying today? The gospel. The gospel. Look at this. The baptism does come from heaven. The baptism who is Christ comes from heaven. This is the baptism we must trust in today. Not the water. The physical water, because if you think the physical water save you, I'm going to take you to my tub, my dirty tub in the back, and I'm going to butcher you right in them. It doesn't save you. Is it, is it important? Absolutely. But that does not save you. Jesus saves you. So the baptism does come from heaven. We can go to Acts 2. This baptism is known as the Holy Spirit of God. That we are baptized with the Spirit. We see it in the baptism of Jesus. The Holy Spirit came down like a dove. Hallelujah, right? And God, ooh, right, rest upon Jesus. A sign of covering, a sign of anointing power, a sign of completion of the Old Testament prophecies. And then we get to the New Testament church, and God promised out of John 14 and John 16 that he would send his helper. Now, I want to get this straight theologically. I don't believe this is a second blessing of salvation because of Romans 8, 9. It says those without God's spirit, right, is not a child of God. Therefore, I believe when someone is saved from the inside out, the heart is changed. We confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. We renounce our sin, that God's spirit regenerates us. He gives us the new birth. He gives us the new life. In that doctrine of regeneration, we understand that then we're justified, not by what you and I do, but what Christ has already done for our humanity. Secondly, that we're not perfect, but God who is perfect is sanctifying us from the beginning to the end. He's disciplining us. And lastly, that the doctrine of glorification, that when we are complete in God, we will experience complete glorification in the glory and in the presence of the Almighty God, Jesus. It's a lot of doctrine talking about today. Yeah, we may have to talk story about this later. But that's how preaching should be. It should be hard. We should struggle with the text, right? We should hunger. It's hard. Don't listen to preachers who make it simple, right? Listen to the preachers that have faithfully walked the walk through trials and tribulations, through prophetically talking about the kingdom of God scripturally. We must adhere to the word. So, so how does the rulers respond? In a bad way, they respond diplomatically. Because instead of focusing on one truth, what happened, guys? They focused on multiple truths. Look at verse 31. They discussed it among themselves and said it was, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, right, because they feared the people for everyone, they held stance to John the Baptist being a real prophet. I want you to see this, right? They, were concerned of, they weren't concerned about truth, ladies and gentlemen. They were concerned about the reputation. This is dead religion. 
at its core. Today, these are preachers and teachers in the church that are not concerned about biblical truth, right? They're not concerned about this truth. They throw their ideas and illustrations and creativity of their personal interpretation of the scripture into preaching and teaching. They don't hold fast to our hermeneutical approach to the study of God's word. They, they, the flip side is true too. These could be preachers and teachers who know all of the systematic approaches to theology and doctrine of the scriptures, but do nothing with it. So hear me out, those who are like Pharisees and the scribes. Hear, hear me out. If that's you, your theology is dead to me. God don't give us all these truths to just get spiritual obese with it. What goes in us must come out of us. If it's the true doctrines of the faith, then God will produce it in the community God has lifted us. Listen to me right now. You're in school. When you leave school, you go into your mission field. When you walk out of that door, everything you learn today has to be applied. If not, what you just did today was eat so much and you did nothing with the energy. Spiritual obesity. Right in these rulers' case, in verse 31, they're more concerned of theological reputation. In verse 32, their influence among the people was more important than the truth of God's word. And after some rambling, theological rambling, here's their answer in verse 33. They answer Jesus, we don't know. Now hear me out. That's actually a good answer. That's a good answer. We, we shouldn't be too critical about these three groups of people. Because in all reality, every one of us are these people. We're the Pharisees. We're the scribes, right? We're the elders. We have no clue. Our theology is watered down. Our scripture is not, the scriptures is not sufficient to us anymore. We are waiting on the new trends and methods of our culture to teach us while substituting God's perfect word and here's what's interesting. I want you to hear it very clear. Jesus displays a significant truth that we have a hard time grasping today that we don't talk about much. And I want you to see these words, right? In verse 33, at the end, latter part of the verse, Jesus rejects these men. Let me say that again. Jesus rejects these men. Verse 33 continues on to say, Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am going to do these things. Matthew 10 says this, But whoever denies me before man, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Hear me out, saints of God. These men rejected Jesus in verses 15 to 19. These same men who we talked about a few weeks ago were the same men who came, who wanted to destroy Jesus. The word destroy literally means kill him. And they did something very evil, politically evil. They tried to question Jesus based on the Mosaic law, the old covenant. Because if Jesus was found as a false prophet at that point, he could have been stoned to death based on the Mosaic law. Now you think you got it hard today. Think about the Mosaic law. If you lied, let me ask you a question. Who in here has lied before? Raise your hand. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just lied. So raise your hand now. We're all guilty of lying, right? If we were under Mosaic law, we would all be stoned to death if we said some kind of prophecy like Jesus did. 
But Jesus also had the authority not to shout who he was, but also to be passive and silent to those who have already rejected him. Can I ask you a question? Are you rejecting Jesus today? Do you reject Jesus today? I'm guilty. We're all guilty. But there's hope in this rejection that we would see our ways as wrong, as heavenly, sinful, and that we would embrace the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see how why systematic approaches to the scriptures is beautiful. Because as we look backwards to the life with Jesus in chapter 11, I want to share with you four things we learned this week. Verse 27 to 33, we learn that Jesus rejects sinners. That's, that doesn't feel good, right? Like, but that's true. He rejects sinners. Last week, week three, we learned that Jesus curses sinners. The analogy of the fig tree, right? Verses 12 to 14, 20 to 25. In week two, in the temple situation, the hakaka there, we see that Jesus purifies sinners. He purified the temple in verses 15 and 19. And the temple today is not a physical building, but who is the temple today? The church. The church. The church is purified in Christ. And as we look at week one, I want you to see this. This is beautiful, right? Jesus is proclaimed by all in verse 1 to 11. And his triumphant introduction back into Jerusalem on the donkey. Oh, you see this beauty, guys? Because every one of us in this room lands on one of these four criterias of life with Jesus. Are we rejected? Are we cursed? Or have we been pur purified? And if we've been purified, let's join the roar of heaven and proclaim the name of Christ. That every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, throughout all the generations, that Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, will rescue us from the dominion of darkness. He would save us. He would convict our hearts of our sin. He would call us to repentance. He would shout out to us, follow me. Take up your cross. Let's go. Let's go for the advancement of the gospel and the glory of exaltation of Jesus Christ alone. Let's do it so that the world may know that God in his sovereign grace is triumphant. He is victorious and he is worthy of all praise. Are you understanding today's sermon? That's the God we worship. A God who is gracious, a God who is just, and I want to end with this understanding. Here's my prayer. As our worship team comes up, my prayer is that our Lord, who is merciful and gracious, will give everyone ears to clearly hear. Call us to repentance, and that he would not deny us what he already denied many, his mercy, 
and his grace. May you never hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, where the person said, did I not do this in your name? Did I not prophesy? Did I not do all this in your name? And Jesus talks to that individual and says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I pray you're not coming to church like those people. But you're being the church, the blood-bought church, the church that is bought by the blood of Jesus. And because we've been significantly bought with a price that was the propitiation of our sin, the substitute and covering of our sin, that God imputated into us righteousness, not a righteousness that comes from ourselves, but a righteousness that comes from the one, the Almighty, who is and is to come, the God-man, Jesus. He has imputated into us His righteousness. And today, as we sing to the King of Kings, as we listen to the preaching of the word and as we receive the word and we live out the word we can know that this righteousness is not just imputated into me but it's expiated to other believers who would know him today for the glory of his name through Hawaii the Pacific and the West for the world for the glory of his name and when God's glory is ultimately satisfied by the sufficiency of his word then the church of God will stand because God says he that began a new work in you will perfect it until the day he returns. Are you those people today, saints? Are you those people? May we not be the church that wallows in our sinfulness. But as we've seen a brother today, live out the example of it. May we do what the scriptures tell us to do. And here's how we should respond. Number one, let's reject the things of this world. And number two, let's receive Jesus by faith today.